Hello, welcome to Careers Talk. I'm Kerry Eustace. Coming up in this week's podcast, Bad Career Moves, we'll be looking at the impact of an unplanned or misjudged career choice. And David Winter from Careers Consultancy C2 will be exploring the effects graduating during a recession can have on your long-term future. We've also got published author and ghostwriter Kirsty Crawford on the line to share her career secrets. And as Julian Lindley is sadly away, a familiar voice will be playing Agony Aunt. And we're joined in the studio now by Sarah Barnard, who's going to be our resident graduate. Hello, Sarah. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Fine, thanks. How are you? Um, tell us a bit about, about your career. So what are you doing? What do you want to do? And um, reveal all. What I want to do, I want to be a professional writer. Since graduating, I've seen that that's not a, a very realistic option, really, at the moment, unfortunately. I have a job starting on Monday at a call centre. Congrats. Um, Thank you. It's an inbound call centre, so it's not too bad. And um, it's... Uh, People aren't going to be slamming the phone down. <laughs> no, hopefully not. No. <laughs> but who knows? Um, no, it will be people ringing and um, wanting to fulfil their insurance claims, and I will be trying to sell them more insurance. Well, I think that it's definitely something lots of people are doing, but I think those the persuasive skills that you're going to gain yes. upselling that insurance will help you when you're pitching your novels. Yes. Thank you, David. And uh, you can never have uh, too much experience on the phones, I think, so... Very positive. Absolutely. So you said it, it's not realistic at the moment for you yeah. to break into writing, and we know that the market is tough, but tell us a bit about what you've done specifically to try and find some work in that area. Well, I graduated in July last year. Um, I had a first-class degree. So very I'd, nice. Thank you. Uh, I had um, I'd hoped that that would kind of put me, maybe not at the very front, but kind of towards the top of the, of the pile, if you like. Um, unfortunately, that hasn't seemed to be the case. Um, but the biggest problem is those kind of jobs aren't really available the training isn't there anymore. The the entry level vacancies aren't there, and companies are reluctant to employ graduates in writing roles when there isn't that training platform there. And of course, if the training platform isn't there, what can you do? But you have been doing some writing, haven't you? Tell us about your book. Well, I do. I do write. I write novels. Uh, I try. Uh, the one I'm writing at the moment is a um, a recession novel. A an unemployed graduate. Doing temporary work, which I think is something a lot of people have done or are doing. Um, hopefully it would be ring, ring a few truths with people, I suppose. Yeah, 20% of grads are probably interested in reading that yeah. right now. <laughs> All right, we'll catch up with you later on in the show and thank you very much for coming in. Thank you. I also need to say hello to Harriet Minter and Alison White, who are going to be talking unprepared graduates, telling stories and smees in the news roundup. Hello both. Hello. hello. Ali, start off with your story for us. <laughs> okay, I've got one concerning graduates as well, actually. And when I first saw this headline, I thought, oh, it's going to be another of those stories about employers moaning about graduates, because the headline is almost half of graduates are ill-equipped for work. But on a bit, you know, you look a bit closer and actually what it is, it's graduates themselves that have been polled saying that they felt that their degree hadn't prepared them for the working world, basically. 44% that stated they didn't think that their university experience had prepared them for the working world, while a similar percentage, 43%, said that they would not have chosen the same courses knowing what they know now, which is interesting. And then this is quite shocking. I'd say as, as a result, 24% of respondents said they would not recommend higher education to A-level students. 
So we're going to hold a debate on Wednesday, actually, on the site. It's going to be live Q&A format, but we've got some grads taking part, hopefully some sort of careers experts as well and a couple of employers. And, yeah, we're just going to sort of throw it open and see what grads are thinking because, you know, it's almost half of graduates, so what do the other half think? So, yeah, it should be an interesting debate. Yeah, it'll be a nice way to gauge confidence, won't it? Mm. All right, my story. Brilliant headline. Brain research shows the power of storytelling in job search. This was written by Cathy Hansen and she was guest blogging on Career Rocketeer. And she is the story that she's referring to is some brain scan research that took place at Princeton University that found that when you tell a story and somebody is really listening, engaged in listening, your brains kind of sync. You have brain sync. You bra- your brains synchronise. <laughs> Her point is that you could apply this technique for job applications and interviews. You know, if you choose to tell a story opposed to sort of reeling off facts or when someone says, tell us about your key skills and you just go, oh, I'm a great communicator, blah, blah, blah. If you kind of work it into more of a storytelling Mm. format with, you know, a beginning, a middle, an end or, you know, a problem, an action and a result, Mm. that you're going to make a better impression because the person's going to feel more convinced by what you're saying and more kind of... um, connected to what you're saying as well and do you think when you get that connected it's when people finish finish each other's sentences or you know what somebody's going to say do you think that kind of makes you feel like as an employer oh if I understand this person they're the sort of person I'd want to employ well that's what I think one of the factors I don't know if it's it's so intense (laughs) that you literally know what the other person's going to say it's more that you're really engaged in what they're saying so that you listen really carefully and and I think that is really important to employers to feel that they get on with you or they like you I mean there's so so many people say all the time that you know we gave them a job because we they they fit into the company so I think that's going to be a benefit but another thing is if you can kind of structure your applications or your interviews in this sort of storytelling style you kind of communicate your skills in another way you show that you are really great at communication you you give an increased level of detail about yourself and what you can do so that is good so I thought that was a good story Harriet okay so today I'm going to be talking about the small business research center at Kingston University they did a sort of survey of a thousand owner managers and they found that small and medium enterprises could or SMEs could be the place for graduates to get kickstart their career 61% of SME owners actually hold a degree and smaller businesses like to employ people they see in their own image Also, they tend to be more entrepreneurial. So they're looking for people with kind of different skills. They want to see what you can bring to their business rather than making you fit into a mould for your business. So um, this survey is basically saying that students really should be taking a closer look at starting their careers in smaller businesses. So not going for the cookie cutter graduate schemes, but actually having a look at sort of smaller companies that you really like and that you feel really engaged with because actually you're probably, they're going to like you better as well. And one of the things that I sort of thought was quite an interesting tip from it is if you are going for a smaller business, it is quite personality driven often. And so it's worth having a look at who it was that started that enterprise and what they're like and how they work and what they're interested in. Because if you can kind of reflect some of that back at them in either how you approach them or in your CV or at your interview, Again, it's, they're going to feel more connected with you and they're going to think that you're the sort of person who's going to bring some value to their business. Yes. Synchronise your brain with a small to medium-sized business. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you very much. Now, last week, a particularly pertinent and not uncommon question was posted on our forum from Mia Glenn. 
This reader loves her degree in Japanese studies, but is worried it will only qualify her for a career in translating or teaching, and she wants to know if she should switch. So, we ran a poll to see what you thought about her dilemma, and 87% of our readers said, stick with your preferred degree. Uh, We'll hopefully find out soon what she's decided to do, but am I making the right career choice, be it for courses, universities or job offers, is a really big question that graduates are facing at the moment. These decisions are never easy, but when you're making them in the midst or aftermath of a recession, there's the 10-year ripple effect to consider. And now, to explain what exactly that 10-year ripple effect is, we've got David Winter, who you'll probably remember from a past pod, but he's a career consultant with C2, which is part of the Careers Group, and the lead author of our favourite Careers in Theory blog. Hello, David. Hello. How are you? Um, very well, thank you. Good. So, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about the 10-year ripple effect and what the study that it's come from? Yeah, so this, this was a study that was reported by Tim Harford um, on his blog. Um, and it's, there are other studies that are very similar. And what they say is that if you graduate or enter the job market during a recession, that has a, a long-term impact on your career success. And when they say that, what they mean is your salary. Uh, if you enter the career market during a recession, you, you tend to start off on a lower salary. And that lagging behind in, in salary continues for quite a long period so that you, you never quite catch up with people who graduated in the boom times. Yeah, uh, what I thought was interesting about the study, and it's a couple of years old, isn't it? It's not mm. brand new, but one of the factors was that luck also comes into it. And I wondered what you thought of that, because is it really about that after all? Um, it's an luck. interesting question be- because um, all careers are about luck, whether you graduate in a recession or in a boom time. It's just that in a recession, it just makes it more obvious. And it emphasises a certain type of luck, which is the sort of the big scale luck, the sort of luck which um, you can't really do anything about. So, you know, economic conditions, you can't really change those. Um, But there's all sorts of other luck factors, like who your parents are. If you've got wealthy parents, then your chances of getting a successful career are much higher than if if your parents are poor, because they have the sort of connections, the networks. And that will help you not just to get a good job to start with, but to progress more rapidly with your career. But careers have always been about luck. And it's, it's, it's the big luck, but it's also the sort of small luck, the individual meetings. You just happen to meet the right person. You just happen to be seconded to a project when it takes off. And those are things that possibly you can do something about. Hmm, um, we'll come back to sort of the chance versus choice, because I'm a little sceptical about luck. So we'll return to that. But okay. I just wanted to ask Sarah what you thought when you kind of found out about these results. I mean, that 10 year ripple effect for someone who's graduated during the downturn. What was your reaction? Um, yeah, I, I wasn't surprised. Um, it was disheartening to, to see it so starkly, I suppose, just just the fact that it would could take 10 or even 20 years to kind of get onto an even keel. And um, but yeah, I do agree that that luck is such a, a huge part of it. And especially when it comes to your parents and whether they can afford to support you doing an unpaid internship mm. or, or something like that, as I think now in the current climate is, has a huge influence on what, on what people can do as a graduate. So did you do, have you done anything perhaps that you might not have done upon graduation to kind of put yourself ahead or things that you've considered in a different way? Well... I think, I don't know, there is a limit to, to how much you can do depending on your circumstances, I think. I mean, one of the, the, big, the big things is the internship. 
um, not even work experience anymore, really. Internship seems to have replaced work experience. Your work experience used to be a week or two, and anybody can take a week out, and they won't expect to be paid for a week or two weeks. But then you're getting into internships, which are three months, six months, up to a year, yeah. and the majority of them just aren't paid. And that's, that's a huge time to take away from not just earning money, but be looking for paid employment. But it got to the point where everywhere I was applying, they expect you to have that experience. And you find entry-level vacancies stating that you have to have six months to a year of experience. So you're thinking, well, that's not an entry-level <laughs> yeah. entry vacancy. How can anyone <laughs> expect you to have got that kind of experience? Yeah. So it's very, very frustrating. And I did end up going for an interview for an internship because it was quite... You're thinking, well, if I'm not getting employed anyway, I might as well do a, a, an internship. Um, but that was... Uh, month one I was told it was three months and then when I got to the interview they said it was six months and um, they wouldn't take they wouldn't take me if I didn't commit to the six months. Well David this echoes doesn't it the research you know you have mm. to work experience takes longer an internship yeah. you're required to give more time so it's eating into that sort of 10 years. How important are choices generally even regardless of of this research that you make in your career what sort of impact can a choice that you hadn't factored into your plan have? Uh, yeah, I mean, it can it can have a huge choice. I mean, uh, just coming back to the research, one of the things that they also found was the people who did catch up more were the ones who changed jobs more frequently during those early years. Um, and I think that that is a crucial thing. Is is if you're starting in something that you know isn't really going to lead you in a direction you want to go in, is always to be thinking about, okay, well, how can I get out of this as quickly as possible? How can I move on to something which is a little bit closer or just give me a different set of skills? Do you think that employers should be more open and understanding of kind of the situations and the problems that grads have when they're trying to look for a job in the recession? Because, you know, when Sora was talking earlier about they're demanding, you know, really extreme amounts of work experience in comparison to what maybe they did mm. previously, it's, it's making the situation so much worse. And do you think in the future they will be more open to more of a sort of portfolio style job hopping CV? Some employers are more open and it, can, it kind of depends on which sector you're going for. I mean, for me as a careers advisor, a chequered career history is quite an asset, really, because it's good that I've had a range of different experiences, having worked in publishing and IT-related stuff and things like that. It's a good thing because I've got exposure to lots of different things. But I think there are some areas where they can be a little bit sort of blinkered, and it does happen a lot at the sort of entry level that you were talking about, um, and especially in recession because then it becomes a buyer's market. So that the people who've got the jobs can raise the price of those jobs as much as they like because they've got the monopoly, um, and that really is annoying. Uh, one of the most common predictors of career success, as I said, is sort of socioeconomic status, this idea of who your parents are. But then if you ask, well, why is that the case? And one of the main reasons is because of the networks. It's because of who you know. Um, and that's one of the most important things. If, if I was to sort of give one word of advice to any uh, undergraduate or graduate th entering the job market at the moment is, if you're going to develop any skill at all, develop networking. And if you're in a, a crap job, we're saying, what can I do while I'm here? that makes it, this job more worthwhile so I can actually add value to the, the employer so that they will actually like me, but also I can add value to myself so that I've got more to take away from this job when I leave. My biggest concern when I, when I was offered this, this call centre job is that it is going to take me away from mm -hmm. where I want to be. And it's taking that time when I could, in theory, have yeah. been focusing on getting into the area I wanted to be in. And I worry that future potential employers are going to look at that 
I graduated and then my first permanent job was in this call centre for however long that will be. And we'll then think, well, why weren't you good enough then? It's a completely understandable worry. I mean, I think it's easy to overemphasise that worry because lots of people started out their careers doing stuff that really wasn't particularly exciting. (laughs) My first job after graduating was as a postman because I couldn't think of what else I could do and I, I needed to earn some money. But the, the difference is, is what you're doing while you're doing that. Um, and I guess, the, you, you, yes, you're right. It limits your ability to actually do, you know, full-on job hunting, um, you know, and, and really sort of laying into that. But it doesn't necessarily limit your ability just to start making more contacts. One classic story I tell one of my colleagues is when she graduated, she wanted to work in the sort of uh, uh, retail book industry. And so what she did was she just went and wrote letters to 10 bookstore managers and said, can I come and chat to you? And out of that ten, one of them said no. So she went and spoke to the other nine. By the time she'd spoken to each nine, and every time she went to the next one, she actually changed her questions based on what she'd learnt the first time around. So she was continually learning and improving her game. By the end of it, it was almost like she'd been doing the job for, for nine years because she knew all the ins and outs of it. And so when, she, when it came to going for interviews, she was, she was so much more convincing. And she was able to sort of say the right things on her CV, which she knew they would notice and go, ah, oh, that kind of relates to what we want. Um, and that's one of the things that can make a difference is that sort of knowledge and you know, intelligence gathering, the awareness gathering, which can come through networking, which really just makes you sound more credible. And I think that, that's something you can do even when you're doing a sort of dead-end job. Yeah. <laughs> that's excellent advice. Thanks both. Now, as you heard earlier, Sarah's ambitions to be a published author... And I have someone on the line who should be able to give her some advice. Kirsty Crawford is a writer and editor who has worked with some starry names and seen her own books get five-star reviews. So who better to reveal her career secrets? Hello, Kirsty. Hello. Um, I hear you've got some sort of tips and pointers for writers. Yes, I have. Um, I've condensed down a few of my handiest tips. And uh, my first tip, really, is to write as much as you can. Uh, just to help you find your own voice. It's been said that it can take up to a million words before a writer finds the fluent, easy voice that expresses their thoughts the way they want. So keep writing, and remember it's a muscle that has to be exercised. Yeah, keep checking that word count. Um, What's your second one? Um, I always advise people just to not try to edit themselves too much as they go along, because it can be more frustrating and unhelpful to keep reading and rereading than it is to just press on. If you actually finish something, that puts you streets ahead of other people who are slaving away on their books and never finishing them. Okay, and have you got another? Yes, if you're actually getting to the point where you want to think about approaching a publisher, I would say don't. Don't approach publishers directly. Hardly anyone ever gets picked from the slush pile. And People use all sorts of methods to try and get themselves noticed, like wild-coloured paper and ink and things like that. And that makes them just look a bit a bit crazy. So I would say, first of all, try and approach an agent. And if you have a, a sense of an author that, you, that you'll like, look in their acknowledgements, and very often they will thank their agent. And that's a handy way to get a name of someone who might be interested in the kind of thing you're doing. Yeah, definitely. Is that what you did? Um, I didn't, but I worked in publishing before I started writing, so I happen to know quite a lot of agents. And uh, that was very helpful because I knew 
that I wanted somebody around my own age and who liked the kind of things I liked and, and I, I happened to know someone who I thought might fit the bill and they did. Okay, well, thank you so much for those. But before you go, our resident graduate this week, Sarah, she is a budding professional writer and I think she might have a question for you, if you don't mind. No, no problem. Go ahead. Um, so you said you worked in publishing yourself yes. before you before you became a writer. Um, do you think that's the best kind of route into it? Publishing is a really uh, competitive industry to get into and you really have to be prepared to take anything to get in. If your real aim is to be a writer, it's not the necessarily the easiest stepping stone. It does help you meet a lot of people, but I think really the best thing to do if you want to be a writer is avoid going into publishing because the people who really succeed there are people who aren't writers and but who just love writing and, and love editing. Having said that, I really did love editing and didn't intend to be a writer when I first went into publishing, but that but things took a different path. Um, if you can get into something that uses writing as a skill as part of your job, that's an excellent way to just keep keep honing your craft. But on the whole, it, if you're taking your first steps, it may be something you have to do in your spare time. Yeah, OK. Does that answer your question, Sam? Thank you so much, Kirsty. I hope we can call on you again, actually. I really enjoyed your advice. Oh, that's good. Not at all. Anytime. Thank you. Kate, sadly, no Julian Lindley this week. Aww. Our careers guru has been off jet-setting again, so is catching up on some work and presumably some beauty sleep. Instead, fulfilling a lifelong ambition to be an agony aunt, Harriet, the pod's resident wise woman, becomes Dear Harriet for one week only. Thank you, Kerry. I'm very excited to be here. So, this is my first letter as a careers agony aunt. Dear Harriet, I'm currently in a pickle. I have recently graduated and have been temping for a few months. I have been fortunate enough to have been offered a job. It is not really what I want to do, but it is a job. The company that I have been temping for, however, may be able to offer me a permanent role that would be more suited to me. Plus, I really like the company. Unfortunately, I'm running out of time to make the decision on the other offer, and my current work are taking an age to get back to me. Should I just plump for a job that I'm not really sure that I'll enjoy or stick it out and hope that I'll get something permanent where I am? Thank you. Okay, dear, currently in a pickle. Um, First off, I think I have to say, don't panic. You're in a really good position. There are people out there who would kill to be in the position that you're in. You have a temping role anyway, and you've been offered another job. So this is something to be happy about. So I think the first thing we need to kind of look at is you say you don't want to take this job. You've been offered it, but it's not what you want to do. It's just another job. If that's really the case... I think you need to, first of all, structure what it is you're applying for. Why are you applying for jobs that you don't really want? Maybe you should actually be taking a step back and spending that time applying for stuff that you do really want so you're not in this position again. The second thing is, this probably isn't your dream job, but actually, the number of people who in their first job get their dream job are tiny. And they are very, very lucky, and quite a lot of the time they end up afterwards realising it wasn't what they wanted in the first place. So take a step back, look at the job, look at what it is you'll be doing, what skills you'll be building up, the people that you'll be meeting, the industry that you'll be working in. Do you hate all of this? Is there any of it which actually is good? If you took this job, could you do it for a year and find yourself in a position where you could then get your dream job? 
I think one of the things you've got to really think about is you're not doing this for the rest of your life. There's nothing that says you have to be here forever if you don't like it. With the temping job, you're obviously really enjoying it. You don't say in your letter whether it's kind of a fixed term temping role or whether it's ongoing. So I would say if they kind of haven't said that it's only for two weeks or only for three weeks, make yourself indispensable. Take on as much responsibility as you can. Offer to work on projects that are going to go on for longer than the period you're supposed to be there. Make sure that actually losing you is going to be disastrous for that company. You want to make sure that they cannot survive without you. When you're in that position, it's then quite easy to go to them and say, I've been offered another job, but I love this company. I really enjoy working with you. I've learned so much from you. I want to build my career with you, but you need to make this permanent. So these are my practical steps. I would first of all go to the company that you're temping with, go to your boss, explain very nicely the situation that you're in, say you've been offered this other job, say that you're not sure that you want to take it, but your personal circumstances are such that a permanent full-time role is really important to you. Explain why you want to stay with the company that you're in, make sure she knows exactly what you've been doing for them and how important you are, make sure you highlight all the good things you've done and all the things you've achieved, and possibly throw in some things that you'd like to be doing with them in the future. Then explain that you have to get back to the second company by your deadline. Tell her when that is. Arrange a meeting with her, maybe if you can, like 24 hours before that deadline. And just say, I would really like to work here with a permanent job. Is there any chance that this is going to go permanent? Give her a deadline and say, obviously, I realise you have to think about it. But if you could come back to me by this time on this date, that would be much appreciated because I obviously have to get back to this other company. And then the worst that is going to happen is that they come back and say, we've loved having you, but we can't keep you on full time. And you still have another job to go to. And you're sorted. So finally, my last kind of piece of advice to you would be, don't knock temping. There are advantages to temping. Just as they have no commitment to you, so you have no commitment to them. If something better comes along, you can move very quickly and you can take your opportunities as they come. So I'd say, to sum up, don't be afraid of talking to your current boss. Tell them what's going on, explain the situation, and make sure they realise how valuable you are to them. Best of all, don't panic. You are in a great situation, and I think you sound like a great candidate, and somebody at some point is going to give you your dream job. Now, earlier this week, we received a disgruntled tweet from environmental geographer Laura Steele. She writes, I don't understand why every graduate job on Guardian Jobs is a recruitment consultant who is being recruited. We took this as a challenge to scour the site to find some entry-level roles for those who aren't keen to cut their teeth in recruitment. So here's our new team member, Eliza, to help Ali reveal a recruitment consultant-free chart. Kicking off the countdown at 10, it's the Graduate Programme with the Office of Gas and Electricity Markets. In at 9, it's MI5 not 9 to 5 and they're looking for intelligence officers. While at 8, Aldi has opened its Area Management Training Programme. The fabulously named Serious Sausage are looking for an office and new business manager in at 7. And at 6, UNICEF want a Media Relations Officer. We're into the top five with a communications officer for the Duke of Edinburgh Award. And at four, it's an epidemiologist for St George's University, London. Three is a commercial property consultant with STEP. One from the top at two, it's an advanced apprenticeship programme from the Crime Reduction Initiative. 
But this week's pick of the jobs is the freelance writer role with the Oxbridge Research Group. Okay, all that's left is some dates. Ali, what Q&As are you running on the site next week? On Monday, we have Getting Your Career Back on Track After Taking Time Out. Tuesday is Apprenticeships, Are They Good for Your Career? Wednesday, Do You Feel Ready for the World of Work for Graduates? And then Thursday, What Does 2011 Hold for Retail Professionals? Okay, but just before we say goodbye to everyone, Sarah, I just want to see how how you felt the show went. Did you get some good advice that you can put into practice today yes i did um particularly david winter has, it was really helpful especially with the networking that was um, a really good tip i think yeah, yeah. well best of luck with your thank job you and thanks much. for joining us well, thank you that brings us to the end of the pod thanks to our guests kirsty crawford david winter our resident graduate sarah barnard newbie eliza Anyangwe, and the studio team harriet minter and ali white careers talk was produced by james crawford i'm kerry eustace goodbye mm-hmm.